so much. Um, I've been on staff here for about four months now, um, and so I recently passed my 90-day evaluation, and the meeting about this evaluation is this coming week, so uh, though I said this is my first time preaching, um, this could also be my last. <laughs> So you know, if next Sunday I suddenly disappear and you're like, where did that, where did that pastor go? I just want you all to know, I tried, okay? Uh, just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. I am trying, but. Um, so in last May of 2020, I graduated from Duke Divinity School. Yes, go Duke Div. Um, and one of my friends in my very first preaching class is here to read scripture for us this morning. Um, her name is Yasmin. Um, but before she does that, I just want to say a little bit about the scripture passage. Um, and also, you should have received this scripture on a five by seven card. So um, if you did not, no worries. Make sure to grab one before you leave today. Um, but if you want to hold that on, uh, hold that with you um, during the sermon today, um, please do so. The scripture printed is from Psalm 27. The book of Psalms is attributed to King David, being uh, written by David, but most biblical scholars would acknowledge that the Psalms, like the rest of the Bible, were started as oral traditions that were passed down in a community for that community by that community. So the psalm that you're holding in your hands right now is a song that was written not just by one hand, but by many. And what we have in this psalm is a record of a community singing about their collective experience. We are reading an ancient testimony, a song that was sung by generations during their worship services. It's a song that we are invited to listen to as Yasmin comes up to read. To hear this song and this story with the hopes that these words might also become our own. So Yasmin. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, when adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, Yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in God's temple. For God will hide me in God's shelter in the day of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of God's tent. God will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in God's tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord, 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says. Seek God's face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Creator, Redeemer, our Sustainer. We carve out this space and set it aside for you this morning. May your grace flow. May your love flow. May your presence be felt in the ways that we need this morning. Hear us, Lord, as we cry aloud. Be gracious to us and answer us. You are our light and our salvation. Amen. Preaching feels dangerous to me, especially preaching about salvation. After meeting with many of you and sharing our um, relatable stories about church hurt and or disillusionment, um, because of unsettling theology or unsettling pastors and sermons. I just want to say, I remember you in this space today. As the preacher this morning, I do not hold absolute truth over your head. You have the agency to agree and disagree with me, as with any other p pastor, and I won't tell you, oh, you're lost. You have agency to say amen, or as Yasmin and I were discussing this week, you could go home and pray about it and decide, nope, that's not for me. Because this is invitation, as Crystal said. This is not indoctrination. And I feel very comfortable saying that, um, and I feel free to say that because the, the verse says, not the preachers and pastors of America are our salvation. It doesn't say Kiana is our salvation. It doesn't even say the Reverend Lisa or <laughs> Reverend Sayoon or the Southeast Raleigh table are our salvation, even though they are blessed, as we know. It says the Lord is our salvation. Okay, 
thus concludes my sermon. Thank you. Everyone. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, but the, the good news about today is that in this psalm, salvation isn't a place or a spiritual achievement for a select few. In this psalm, salvation is a presence, God's presence, and salvation is a pilgrimage, and a messy one at that. What you have in your hands is a psalm that's a plethora of prayers containing doubt and faith, fear and belief, hope and struggle. This psalm does not offer us a psychological band-aid or shallow hope for a one-day spiritual salvation up in the clouds. It begs and cries for God's deliverance here and now in the land of the living. And in those cries, there is room for both confidence and questioning, worship and wondering. The opening words, the Lord is my light and my salvation, are common metaphors in the scriptures. Um, but one of the first appearances of this metaphor is in the book of Exodus. The book of Psalms is filled with songs, um, but most of the other books in scripture are um, narrative prose, so like storytelling. He said, she said, they did this. And because of this format in Exodus, um, it's significant that in chapter 15 of Exodus, uh, the story just stops and it records a song. It's in Exodus right after God leads God's people out of their enslavement. After the people make it out of the land and flee the Egyptian army. And so I'll read it. The, script, the scripture says, and I quote, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my defense. The Lord has become my salvation. So when the word salvation is used in Psalm 27, it's recalling this imagery of God's saving work that God's already done. It's calling back God's track record of liberation with and for Israel. And here at the Southeast Raleigh table, um, Reverend Lisa talks often about this Exodus story. Um, and it's such a significant story because this was a moment that defined God's identity for this people. In Genesis, we learn that God is creator. But in Exodus, we learn that God is liberator and savior. Because to be a savior is to be, well, to be a savior is to be a liberator because salvation is always about freedom in life. Spiritual freedom, yes. And also life and wholeness in our physical bodies. When we hear Psalm 27's opening, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We're hearing a song of collective memory. 
It's a communal acknowledgement of who God has been to this people. It's collective confidence. And yet, this confidence is not a denial of reality. It's not escapism. The psalm is still very aware of the type of oppression and hardship they are facing. Rescue and deliverance are from something. Salvation from Egypt. Protection from those who are trying to start war. They are not blind to the powers that be. The psalm specifically names the three ways that their enemies are coming for them. The first, as you'll see in your psalm, um, to devour the flesh, literally attack the body. I believe it's verse three or four. Then, as we keep going, um, there is the start of war, so violence. And lastly, verse 12 says that false witnesses have come up against them. And in this context, false witnesses, that's referring to unjust judicial proceedings. But this context is very different from our own. Or is it? And these three areas of social, external, physical injustices are compounded by another example of injustice. Interpersonal injustice. Those whom the psalm should have been able to fall back on. Mother and father, caregiver, parent. Even they abandon them in verse 10. So the weight of suffering in this psalm is multifaceted. So even with this collective confidence, God is our salvation, the psalm starts to shift a little bit. But it's because of their faith that they are confused about what they're seeing. They believe that God has come God comes through because they've seen it with their own eyes in the past. So where is God now? We can see the shift in tone as we read these verses side by side. So I'll read verse 1 and then go to verse 7 if you want to follow along. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then right next to this, to verse 7, Hear me, O Lord, when I cry aloud. And it's not just me reading dramatically. (laughs) This has an exclamation point in the text, okay? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. This song holds both, the Lord is my light and my salvation, and hear me as I cry aloud, O Lord. This song holds both, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord, and do not turn away from me. This song holds both, I will wait upon the Lord, and answer me. This 
is their song. A song of both hope and desperation. And both are ways of faithfully relating to God because both are honest. This psalm shows us that the spectrum of spirituality is wide. That faith and trust are expansive. Some days, we might really trust God, and we might be able to say, you know, God, I trust you with my whole life. But as Pastor Lisa said this morning, sometimes our hope is a broken hope, But hear me as I say, even your broken hope is hope. The psalm welcomes us into an honest and passionate faith. One that isn't afraid to look at God, carrying our greatest hopes and our greatest fears. I call this psalm a bedrock psalm. And I use the word better off because I can literally recount moments of my life where this psalm has felt like the only ground, the only like stable thing that I could rely on. This is a psalm that can catch us when we fumble. I say bedrock because it feels like solid ground to me. All throughout my life, this has been my favorite psalm. Not because I read it and suddenly God parts the sea like Exodus round two. Um, but it reminds me of a God who wants my life more than my death. And it reminds me that there is room in God's hand for my prayers both of praise and panic. When I left the church that I grew up in, um, it was the church that I served in, led in, um, felt called to ministry in. When I left that church and um, left kind of the church in general, um, like seeing the Bible would make me cringe. Like I couldn't even do it. Um, but this is one of the only songs that I could tolerate. When I had a cycle of panic attacks for three years, this was a psalm that I knew I could rely on, rely on. When I get anxious even now, this is still my psalm. And this sounds silly, but this was literally the song that I went to this week when I was worried about writing a sermon about this psalm. <laughs> and I'm just like, Thank you, Lord, that this was, this is literally the lectionary text of the day. I didn't even choose this. It chose me, maybe. Um, the psalmist's burdens are expansive, and that's why they can hold every bit of joy and desperation that we hold in our hearts in this room. I want this to be a bedrock psalm for you, too. I want you to have this so that you might feel the freedom and invitation to say, along with all of the saints who have hoped and cried these words, hear us as we cry aloud. And 
I know the Lord will hold me close. I want you to be able to say, with, along with all the saints who have hoped and cried these words, do not turn your face from me, O God. And I know God always comes through for me. This psalm invites us into a spirituality of anger and assurance. It's a psalm for the moments of, God, I believe that you accept me, but this church didn't accept me, so what do I do with that? This is a psalm for, it's only January, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> We're very exhausted in this room, apparently. Um, it's a psalm for the moments of, I have to get surgery again? For the seasons of, what do I make of my faith anymore? A psalm for when sometimes God feels very close, and sometimes God feels very far. Or maybe for you it can be a psalm for when everything just feels numb. And... It's also a God, I know you've been with me so many times before, Psalm. It's a God, you didn't leave me back then, so I know you're not going to leave me now, Psalm. It's a, I don't, I don't have time to not have hope right now, so I will have hope, Psalm. And we gave you a printout copy of this Psalm in the hopes that you might place it somewhere um, where you'll see it often. Might it serve as a reminder for you that you have access to this song, whatever, wherever you fall um, in these verses. Might you have access to this song, and in doing so, might you also allow it to have access to you. Our burdens in this world are expansive. And yet, so are God's hands. God can hold all of these seasons. God is our light and our salvation. God is the stronghold of our life. And it's because we believe that, that we can also say, Lord, hear me. What this psalm isn't, it isn't a promise that no harm will ever come to those who pray these prayers. History is a testament to this. Many Christian martyrs um, would cling to the language of God as salvation in life, and unfortunately, their lives were still taken. Yet, oh, and we, we know many saints who have died. Yet many of these saints held to this psalm because they believed God would hold them even in death. That even when the worst happens, and it did, and it has, even when the land of the living is gone and history forgets their names, God knows their names. And I'll say it again, even though Reverend Lisa said it last week, 
God knows Keenan Anderson's name. And hear me as I say, too, God knows every name of the 10 people who were killed in the mass shooting last night in L.A., Los Angeles, 15 minutes from my grandma's house. This psalm doesn't make empty promises about the world. It tells the truth about silence. And as we encounter the world's violence, when we ask, where do we turn now? The heart gives us a gentle option. The heart gently ushers us into God's company. You can see it in verse 8. My heart says, come, seek God's face. The heart invites us to lean in and chase God down with our prayers. To chase God down with our cries. This song begins and ends with hope. But it's a nuanced hope. Filled with seeking and crying out in between the lines. And in all of this, no matter where you are in the psalm today, whether you are singing confidently and without fear, the Lord is my light and my salvation, or whether you're singing, I'm waiting on God, or maybe you're, you're singing, hear me as I cry aloud, wherever you are in this psalm, know that there is room for you at the wide table of our faith. There, there is room for you to be held and carried by the melodies of generation after generation of those who have passed down the song that you hold in your hands today. I'm praying that these melodies hold every family who's mourning a loved one lost to violence. And I'm praying that these melodies hold every single one of you. I'm praying this psalm holds us. I'm praying that God holds us. May it be so.